We, uh, in this fourth Sunday of Advent, I took a big detour in what I was kind of planning on talking about. And I, I believe, because there's folks in this room that need to hear this, uh, what maybe for some feels like a simple message, uh, maybe feels like an obvious one if you've been around church for a little while, but I think it's critical, and I know it was critical for me this week in preparing this to remember. And that's this, that when we talk about Advent and we talk about Christmas, of all the different ways that we can address this. If you're new with us, we've been talking about this idea of of lifting our eyes to see the coming Jesus. Advent is the season where we go back and we remember what it was to be a group of people in exile waiting for the Messiah to come. Waiting. There was this anticipation in the air that was coming politically and coming through this Hebrew tribe. There was this culmination of the ages, this moment in history that now literally the calendar that you hold on your iPhone is built around was this moment of, of Will, will things be made right? Will the Messiah come? It's the reason every superhero movie and comic has ever been made. It's this internal longing for that Savior that was like felt in a, in a very unique way at this moment in history 2,000 years ago. And so we go back, Advent, we go back and we remember, we're anticipating the coming Messiah, the coming Savior, the one who's going to redeem and renew the longing of every human heart. And so we've been talking about how we need to be people who lift our eyes up onto, onto hope and lift our eyes up onto joy, what these candles signify. Lift our eyes up on to love and to get our eyes up off our circumstances so often and keep our eyes set on that which is good and true and wonderful. Be, just being remembering that when we look down at our circumstances, though that we have such a, a high premium on authenticity and on being real. We, we've talked these last couple of weeks that, that that is actually never the whole view. Just like a simple perspective thing, when you're looking down, you only see a really small part of the reality. As soon as you look up and look out, so much in your purview and your peripheral vision comes into view. We get to see the bigger context of the pain we're in. When we have a vision, our pain has a purpose to it. What dawned on me after the last three weeks, and I don't know about you, if you've been around the last three weeks, um, I know so many people are like gone this last Sunday of Advent every year, but like, man, it has been so encouraging. I can't remember the last time I've gotten this much feedback on a collection of talks. And really, it hasn't, it hasn't been uh, so much how great the talk has been. It has been wow, God spoke to me in a way that I needed to be a person who is more full of hope and remembering things that are more true than just the ache that I'm in. At the same time that I'm receiving all this really like positive, hopeful, joy-filled feedback, which any of you who know me, that's like my MO. Like, come on, let's rally, we can do this. I just had this really strong, strong sense from the Lord that some of us are... are um, I don't know if it's, if it's looking up too quickly or, or the way in which we tend to get our eyes on things that are, are, are filled with hope and joy and peace. We are not taking seriously as we do that the brokenness in our heart. Basically, what, what it did was brought to mind one of the most central themes of the Christian Christmas experience of what it is to celebrate Christmas and Advent which is the incarnation. Anyone familiar with this term, the incarnation? This idea 
that we talk about week after week in all sorts of subtle ways, that the God of the universe, that spirituality out there, the Logos, the, as Christians we would say God the Father, made himself known to us in flesh and blood. It is a distinctly Christian idea. It is the, um, it's like all the astrology and the crystals and the, 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 the wind tree God religion, like the paganism that has made a whole new like revival in our city recently. It's like all that sense that even my most ag- devout agnostic friends, borderline atheist friends will go, yeah, there is that otherness, that love, that, that sort of external sense, whatever that is, we as Christians believe made itself known to us. And, and the way something comes to you is really is as important as the thing itself. So one other thing we've talked a lot about if you've been around is this old advertising phrase, the medium is the message. I never heard this phrase before. The medium is the message. It was, it was like in the Mad Men era of like the dawning of, uh, of advertising age. And this idea basically from Marshall McLuhan is that the way something comes to you is as important as the thing itself. So the, the message is key, but if the message is coming via TV, via radio, via print, like the, the, what it's tempered with and what the font choice is and the color and all that thing in advertising is actually just as important. And so we learn something in the way that we as followers of Jesus believe the God of the universe made himself known to us and that he was born in crap and straw and into poverty in a manger and became fully human. A very central theological idea to be a Christian is to understand that Jesus Christ was fully God, which we can usually accept because like, oh yeah, like that's, we want, we want a God, we want a Messiah, we want a Savior, but was also fully human. And I think it's really easy in the church for us to, to naturally, especially since we don't see Jesus physically walking around, to, be, to remember and to hold on to and to lean into the God that is on the throne and not pay attention to what he taught us as a human who cried, who got ticked off, who was full of sorrow, who wept. Like the, the, the Jesus Christ, the God who reigns forever, didn't all of a sudden, uh, when, he, when, when God sent Jesus to earth, when God made himself known to us in flesh and blood, didn't do it as a robot, which may not sound profound yet, but I'm saying this because we have to remember that as people um, who are being invited to see God reigning and putting all things back together, we can remember that that Jesus who is reigning and putting all things back together went through it all and went through what we went through. So basically for the next 20 minutes, I just want to like, what was the old Elvis song, A Blue Christmas? I want us to like get a little, not, not sad, I don't want us to get sad. But I want us to actually like lower your eyes for a moment. Because if we're going to be people who are taking hope and joy and love seriously, we need to be people who are taking seriously our feelings, our emotions, and our desires. Uh, anyone else like a really emotional person? They consider themselves, I am an emotional person. The last thing, what was the last thing you cried at? What was the last thing you cried at? Don't make it heavy, please. What was the last thing you cried at? Church? Awesome. We always say it's a good church service if people are crying. Patriots? 
I weirdly believe that's true. Last time I cried was a Patriots game with a friend. Frozen 2. Anyone see Frozen 2? My, my six-year-old came home geeking out about it. Like some, I, I, I am a crier, a crier. It does not take much for me just to lose it. And it, it, it happens as much with the good as with the bad. And I, I think we have, we have a, a basic, I think, understanding of what to do with the good. When joy and peace and hope, gratitude and relief and calm, like when all those things come, like we, 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 we want to hold them close and hold on to them as much as possible. And we try to push away the bad. Anxiety and depression and fear and terror and sorrow and lament and disappointment and letdown and bitterness and betrayal and jealousy and insecurity and hate and rage and violence and all these feelings. And when these come, we simply want to do what any normal person would want to do and to push them away. And so this long setup is simply to say when those things come, if our impulse is to sort of not think about them, that is not what we've been talking about for the last three weeks. See, Christmas, this Advent season, is inviting us in part to remember the God who became flesh and blood and felt what we felt and actually shows us a bit about how we move to a place of hope and joy and peace as integrated, whole people. We make good feelings last as long as possible. Those moments in life when you wish we had a pause button, you hang on tight. But I think a lot of us struggle with what to do with all the other stuff, with all of the emotional pain. And some of us uh, have, a, have a truckload of it, and others of us have a suitcase, maybe size of it, but all of us have it. And I think too often we don't have a clue on how to deal with it and live in a day and age where like more than ever before the majority of people are running away and finding new ways to hide their, their emotional pain. I think there are three ways that people deal with emotional pain. Um, and I think this is actually based on your worldview. This is why Advent and Christmas are so critical. This is why we take time to stop and focus and remember every year the God who became human is because the way that we see God, the way that we see our spirituality, reflects very deeply on the way we see our humanity. So Eastern spirituality, so a couple worldviews that we see, I see around our city that you, I'm sure, touch on a regular basis. Specifically Buddhism, which is incredibly influential, I think, in our city. Buddhism is more of a way of life, and as I understand it, more so than a form of spirituality. Actually, in a lot of ways, really similar to the way of Jesus. God isn't really even a person in Buddhism, but still, there's this, and there's a bunch of really good stuff we can take from Buddhism, um, but most of, most of it kind of shows up in the Sermon on the Mount. My, my primary beef and the Christian-like tension point with Buddhism, um, aside from its take on God, is its take on evil. The Buddha said that, quote, all suffering is the byproduct of desire and attachment. And Jesus essentially said the same thing in the Sermon on the Mount, that we feel emotional pain because of something that we care about, that we care about deeply, and that we desire we're attached to. Now, the difference between Buddha and Jesus is that the Buddha says, therefore, the way we deal with emotional pain is we detach from any and all desire. We just detach from it. 
So it's, it's very, for those of you who saw the new Star Wars movie, it's very Jedi Knight-ish. How do we feel about the new Star Wars movie? What was that? No one's seen it. Do I want to ruin it for you? Like detach from like no attachment. You let go and transcend and you rise above your desire and you rise above your attachment. That is basically the mantra. That's how you deal with emotional pain. You just detach from it. Don't have longings. Don't get that close. You ever met somebody like that? I don't really get close to people anymore. Right? It's a whole worldview that kind of circles around that impulse. Two would be Western spirituality, what is called like really Christianity in a lot of places, uh, which is something that we're a part of, obviously. So I grew up in church, and I know well, and I know that the undercurrent running through a lot of church is basically a worldview that says Jesus is alive and the tomb is empty, which is good, right? That's a good thing. Any Christians in the room? Kingdom of God is here, and it's coming, and anything is possible. How many of you love when you roll into church, and I have that sermon loaded up? Some version of that sermon. Anything is possible. You can do even greater things than he has done. You're like, yes. Death has lost its sting. Keep going. Don't stop. The Lord is with you. How many of you live your life like that? How many of you, your Instagram feed is just full of quotes like that? Can't stop, won't stop. Lord's on my side. Anybody? Anybody have a friend like that? Anyone love that? Like, you, you like kind of roll your eyes at it, but you're like really grateful there can be some bit of hope because you're so emo all the time. <laughs> We're not alone anymore. God's presence is with us. So whatever's coming, if you're sad, you're down, you just tell your emotions to take a hike. Because that's not true. That's not like, now all of that has an element of truth to it. And there's a time and a place to tell your emotions to like get a, get, find their proper place because some of you, like I mentioned, just indulge. The problem is what happens when you preach this sermon to your soul and you tell your emotions to take a hike and then they give you the middle finger. Emotions are like, oh, that's cute. Yeah, the Lord has risen. And they're just like, nope. Don't be offended. I didn't do it. Does that happen to anybody? Emotions, like we don't, we don't get along very well with them. So what we do when the default setting for a lot of us in Western spirituality is basically you fake it, maybe even to yourself. You suppress it, you push it out, you don't deal with it, you move on. You put on a new worship record, I don't know, you just go forward. You listen to a podcast, you go for a run, you have a coffee. Like, I don't know, you basically don't deal with it and you fake it and you pretend it, it's not there and you ignore it and you suppress it and you move on. So we detach in Eastern thought, Western like kind of Christian thought that isn't deep. Christian thought that's only one dimensional. I heard someone say like, well, I don't like to go to Good Friday churches. I like to go to Easter churches. I think they were saying is like, I don't like to go to churches that talk about sin and brokenness and lament, i.e. three-fourths of the Bible. I only like to go to the resurrection churches. Like they preach positivity. It's all going to be good. Speak positive. Speak positive. Speak positive. Paint that smile on. Keep going. The Lord is good. It's just because you don't have a lot of faith is why you're sad. That's, that's like Christian light at its best. And it's heterodox 
and destructive and evil at its worst. And then third, you find secularism, which is essentially anti-spirituality and secularism, this idea of, yes, suffering is real, and there's not much we can do about it. So I told this story a couple of years ago, but there's a barista's tattoo, that, and uh, I was like, what does that say? Uh, and I'm a mad obnoxious person that always asks about people's tattoo. And uh, so she pulled her shirt up a little further, and it basically just said, the world is, is ish. The world is S-H-I-T. And I was just looking at it, I'm like, oh, like, what's my response to that supposed to be in that moment? Cool, cool, cool. No, I don't think it's cool. Right, but this is like, I would say, like, this is the zeitgeist of my generation, or at least in the city. Yep, the world is junk. It's whatever. This is how it is. This thinking is really the only thing you can do is to escape it, to distract yourself from it. And we distract ourselves with causes sometimes where we just pay lip service to a kind of cause and we don't really get engaged and it just makes ourselves feel a little bit better. Or really, we just kind of tap out. So however you distract yourself, whether it's some sort of substance abuse or it's your education, getting your career or job or money, maybe it's just shopping or romantic relationships, it's your social media feed, it's sex, it's music, it's hobbies, it's sports, I don't know. Social, like any of these things, uh, like the mantra is basically like, I need to distract myself, distract myself, and simply enjoy what I can. What's interesting is that you have Eastern spirituality detached from emotional pain. Western spirituality is just put on a worship song and fake it. And secularism is just go out and eat more often or have sex or listen to a thing or whatever. The common denominator between all these worldviews is they are all running away from pain. They're all running away from your emotions. Christmas. Christmas, one of the things that this season invites us to is to consider the God who seems rather in touch with his emotions. The God who made us in his image and the God who experiences, it says in Hebrews, all the sorts of temptations and aches and pains that we went through. Good Friday when we talk about the cross we, 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 uh, I remember talking last year about how this is God screaming alongside us. This is God saying, me too. The worst that the world can throw at you and the worst that you will experience, death and suffering, I've been through too. Turn with me if you would, Matthew 26. Jesus shows us a better way. And so in the Christmas season, this is sort of an, I guess, an odd text to think about for Advent. But we see in this story that we've referenced a number of times, this is, this is Jesus towards the end of his life. You think of this, the God of the universe born in straw and in poverty as a human, as a fragile human. I, one writer talks about like that moment where he, he must have been placed to Mary's breast. And in poetic fashion, the writer talks about like that first, like, that first sip like, of her milk was like the God of the universe essentially like, tasting death, like ingesting into himself like the reality of, of the ache of this world right in that moment. This God who's about to experience the, the, the loss of a friend, who's about to, to, when confronted with hypocrisy in his faith, 
go ape on the temple. If you're unfamiliar with that story, it doesn't fit on the flannel graph very well. But he, who, who, who weeps over the city when he sees people in pain. And then in Matthew 26, Jesus with his disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane. This is a park on the Mount of Olives right outside the gate in the city of Jerusalem. And he said to them, sit there while I go over and pray. And he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him. And then notice the language here, sorrowful. He said he was sorrowful and troubled. He knew it was going to happen. He knew he was about to go to the cross. He knew that this culmination of the human experience was going to lead to his betrayal. This word sorrowful here means excruciating internal pain. The word trouble here means, is basically the idea, the ancient idea of anxiety. He's upset. He's upset. Some have even said you could almost translate it nervous. It's a bit of a reach, but it, basically what those translators are trying to get at is this ancient word of troubled is like there was just this in his internal life was in turmoil. He said to them, my soul is overwhelmed and troubled to the point of death. This is strong, dramatic language. The idea here linguistically in the Greek is basically that it's, it's crushing him. Has anyone ever been crushed and full of anxiety and full of sorrow? Anyone, as you're coming to the end of this Christmas season, like just weighed down and full of pain? Or are you here this morning? Because I had this sense there are going to be people here this morning who are, gonna, who are here because they, they need to like <laughs> refill before they hit family. Like the next three days are not going to be magical. These are some of the hardest days of the whole year. One translation says his sorrow was crushing his life out. Jesus is right there in the thick of emotional pain. It says, stay here and keep watch. Peter, James, I need you. I can't be alone. Now, it's on the like he's, he's on the floor. <laughs> he's full of this pain and ache and suffering. He needs community around him. And he says, if it's possible, if there's any way that this doesn't have to happen, he says, may this cup be taken from me. So may this cup is a metaphor for the coming, like the suffering that he's about to go through. May this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as, your will, as you will. He returned to his disciples and he found them asleep. And he gets mad. He gets frustrated he starts to go at them, like, couldn't you men have kept watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter to watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time, and he prayed again to his father. If it's not possible for this cup to be taken away, unless I drink it, if there's any other possible way. Jesus does not have a Zen moment here. He does not detach. He doesn't say, does it really matter if I live or if I die? Jesus doesn't go away and like pop on some like record and start quoting just a pop, like a positive psalm and tell his emotions to take a hike and just say, I'm going to rejoice in the Lord always. And he doesn't say, let's just go out to dinner and eat an extra glass of wine. This is going to be a rough couple of days, which would be hilarious. 
Jesus deals with his emotions. He begins to engage his feelings. He goes to the place of pain and he sits in all of the awkwardness and all of the fear and all of the anxiety and all of the discomfort. Why? Because Jesus is, is, is fully God and fully man. Jesus is showing us and giving us a template for what it is to engage the ache and pain of this world. Christmas and the Advent season remind us that Jesus is fully human and fully God. And, and it begins the story for all of us to begin to pay attention to what this child God is like. And it shows us, it informs us, as those of us in the room who would call themselves apprentices of Jesus and disciples of Jesus, how to be fully human. Jesus doesn't want to just teach us how to engage in a few Sunday-related spiritual practice, practices. He wants to reteach us how to be human and how to do it well. And so what, what does he do? First, he gives God his feelings. We read in verse 38, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Honest. He is straight up and he is uncut. There is no edit button here. He tells God and his community how he feels. This, my friends, Sanctuary Church, is the beginning of prayer. This is the beginning of prayer, is to be honest with what you're feeling. When you read the Psalms, uh, I mean, this is something I do every morning, is I read a Psalm along with a few other things to guide me into God's presence and his love for the day. The Psalms are fascinating to me. As, I, as I've been reading them ever since I was really almost, I mean, I remember in high school, I kind of started trying to do this regularly. If you know the Psalms well at all, you know they get pretty like funny quick. Right, the Psalms, some of them start with like, Lord, you are just so wonderful. Your love endures forever. I am so grateful for you. This is the day the Lord has made. We all know the, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Hey, have you ever like done this in the morning where you're reading through a psalm and you get halfway through and you're like, whoa, why is the psalmist talking about throwing his enemies to jackals? Why is the psalmist wishing that his enemies were dead? Why is he getting morbid? This turned quickly. Anyone know what I'm talking about? The Psalms are the prayer book of the Bible, and Jesus being a rabbi absolutely would have done this every day. Read the Psalms, read the Psalms, read the Psalms. Now, I like to imagine Jesus reading these Psalms. Horrible moments. If, the, if this is like the Bible's template of how to pray, why would God like let something like that come out of somebody's mouth and then get written down for us to read? years later, possibly be very misinterpreted by what God is really about. And I would simply say it may be just because God is not nearly as scared of honesty as we are. I don't think God is as scared of honesty as we are. I always find it hilarious, and I, and I understand all the social dynamics behind this, when people get a little awkward around like really abrupt things that are said, or that was a little too honest for the platform. I'm like, where, where are you? This is not buttoned-up religion. This is, this is, we're out trying to help people cultivate an honest and real experience with their own soul and with the God of the universe. 
I hope there's some F-bombs dropped in this church. Can I get an amen? Amen. Didn't see that one coming, did you? In other words, I hope there's some honesty. This is the beginning of prayer, and the Psalms give us a template for it. The Psalms show us what it is to be real and uncensored. To say, this is really what's going on, and it aches. God's not scared of your honesty, of your doubts, of your questions, of your rage. In fact, it is in bringing that before the Lord that we find the healing we so often need. Hiding how we really feel or hiding how we really think, it's just, it is the beginning of a disconnected relationship with our God. Hiding from God. This is the first really sin in the scriptures. Secondly, Jesus gives God his desires. It's really interesting. He goes on to pray, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me, not as I will, but as you will. I don't want to do the thing that arguably I was born into that manger to do. I don't want to go to the cross. I would rather not do that. Has anyone ever prayed a prayer like that, ever? Anyone who maybe you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus and you've thrown up a little like Hail Mary or whatever, right? You like grabbed some, grabbed the rosary and you like, you just, you, I don't know, you like moved your hand in some funny way and you like said a prayer and you lit a candle and you're like, I don't, I just don't want this to have to happen. I don't want to have to go through this. You knew what was coming. And, and, and there's an honesty here that I love where Jesus gives God his desires. The, <laughs> the cross was like the whole thing. This inner turmoil in Jesus as he's conflicted between his desire to be faithful to God's calling in his life and his desire not to get beat up and mocked and stripped naked and killed. Fully human, fully God doesn't want to experience rejection from the people that he created and then in the end die. Who would want that? All these competing desires swirling in Jesus and because of that his soul was overwhelmed with sorrow. This is because our emotions are the result of the byproduct of our desires. We know all that. So we worry about them and we get sad or we get excited about the stuff that we desire, the stuff that we want or we don't desire or we don't want the key prayer at least to bring God to all of our deepest desires and not just the good ones. So what we do is we filter our desires. All sorts of desires, good, bad, and in between. I take the desires that I know are good and I give them to God. I only give God my good desires. I only come before God with, hey, look, look, here's mine. I want sanctuary to, to thrive and grow. I want to be a good husband, and I want to be a good dad. I want my children to grow up and be healthy and whole. So I take the desires that I know are good, and I give, I think those are all good. <laughs> I give those to God. Please, God, do this, because I know it has your stamp of approval. And then all the desires I know that are bad... Like, God, I really want, if I meet that person on the street, I have rehearsed what I'm going to say and how I'm going to make them feel as emotionally small as possible. Not me. I mean, I'm your pastor. I don't have those bad thoughts, but other people. 
I know what I'm going to say there. I know what I'm going to do there. All those, all those, those internal, those desires that I know are evil, I take those and I don't really know what to do with them. Sometimes I repent of them. Sometimes I feel guilty for them. And most of the time I just suppress them and push them aside and get it out of my head and just move on. And then I have all these ambiguous kinds of like middle desires that I don't know what to do with. I don't know if they're good or right or from Jesus. And they're all kind of convoluted and they just swirl around in my head all of the time. Anybody else? With Jesus, there's no filter. He just says, here, I don't want to go to the cross. But uh, that's why you're here. Right? (laughs) Is there another way? And he gives God his desires, even the ones that weren't good. You know what sort of paradigm shift this could do for you in your prayer life and in your relationship with Jesus? What if we were to bring God into all of our desires, including the stuff you're kind of ashamed of, to admit? It's okay to say it out loud. In some ways, I think parenting, like our parents, um, yeah, I think a lot, I'm sure some of you had parents that knocked us out of the park, but I think it's really easy uh, for a parent now in that place of parenting to like, oh, I don't want to hear about that. Like that's, you shouldn't think that. Instead of like, oh, I get that you think that way. Or you know what? I don't quite get that you think that way, but you're a human being. I'm a human being. We're both broken. Let me understand why you have that really broken desire. Right? We don't do that with our friends sometimes. All of them. I'm talking like down to the nitty gritty. Stay with me. Y'all with me? Right? I don't know. You're at the gym and he or she walks by and they're a size like medium, but they're wearing a size small. Like bring those, like I have impulses, I have desires to look or to flirt or whatever it is. Like I have, I have these impulses when this particular hour comes around to do X, Y, or Z. Every time I walk by that bar, I have these desires and I kind of think about, like bringing the things that we know are broken and that we know aren't good before the Lord and go, God, I, it's not that, God, I know you know what's right and I know like I just, I, I don't want to do that and God, will you help me? I think sometimes it's really helpful to go back one step further and go, God, I really want to fill in the blank and do the bad thing. Hey, God, I want to do X. Like, take a moment and think what X is for you right now. Don't shout it out. Nobody wants to hear that. I mean, we do want to hear that. It's a safe place. Let it know. Like, what is that thing? Maybe it's small. It's an ethical thing in your business. It's the way you... So you treat your kids. That nagging addiction that doesn't seem to go away. What would it look like rather than to hide from God in that moment, to bring God into that evil, broken, screwed up moment? Maybe you're single and you're lonely and you want so badly to get married. Maybe you're married and you want so badly to be single again. It's just all too much. It's not worth it. Like uh, bringing that ache in that moment of what you're feeling and what you're desiring before the Lord. What would it look like to bring God into your hatred, bring God into your hurt, bring God into your anger, to say, God, I, I, I just, I give you all of it. I give you my jealousy. If you, it's insecurity. You just want so badly for people to think that you are cool and you know you're just not. Okay, 
What would it look like to bring God into your insecurity and to give him all of that? That's what we see in Jesus. He gives God his feelings. He tells God how he feels. And then he gives God his desires with no filter. Lastly, Jesus gives God his feelings. He gives God his desires. And he gives God his, basically his, I'm sorry, he gives God his feelings. He gives God his desires. Lastly, he gives God his trust. And this is where I want to land us today. There's this iconic line, not as I will, but as you will. He says it again in verse 42. My father, if it's not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, it may uh, drink it. May your will be done. The fact is that Jesus' deepest desire underneath all of the other ones was for God's will to be done. I don't want to go to cross. I don't want to get beat up. I don't want to face fame, shame and rejection. There was a desire in Jesus' heart for God's will to be done. And I would argue that if you're a follower of Jesus, if you have the Spirit of God living inside of you, your deepest desire is the the same exact thing. And so I want to say this. Your, your, Your strongest desire and your deepest desire are not always the same. strongest desire that you have in any given moment or in your just general life right now is not the same as your deepest desire. Often. Especially as a follower of Jesus. Your deepest desire, I want to know God and I want to be like him and I want my body, I want my sexuality to be a temple of the Holy Spirit. I want to, I want to be filled with the presence of God. I want to be a person who's not like cheap, who's full of like deep generosity. I want to be people who, a person who isn't full of anxiety. I, I don't want to ever leave God's presence. I don't want to, I, 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 want to, I want to step into my calling. And in the moment when it's late at night and you're tired, when you're in the middle of an argument or you're angry or you're hurt, your strongest desire might be something else entirely. But if you're a follower of Jesus, you have the spirit of God in you. That means you have a brand new heart and your deepest desire is God's will. And so even if it's underneath a whole bunch of crud, the beginning of, of, of like closing the gap between your, your truest, realest desire and your strongest one is this word surrender. Surrender. Surrender is the place where your emotions start to get healthy. Surrender is the place of trust. Surrender is the place of obedience. Surrender is the place of abandonment. It's saying, okay, God, here's what I feel. Here's what I want. But here, have your way. I actually want whatever you want more than anything else. It's the beginning of emotional maturity and emotional health. That's when you come to the place of release and surrender and trust and obedience. It's this place um, where, <laughs> where we do what we see. Um, I think the greatest among us is followers of Jesus. We see how they engage. It's why uh, we say often here, I think church needs to look a lot more like AA and recovery groups than anything else. Because it's in a place of surrender and honesty. It's a place where you're just naming that baseline ache that you know isn't aligned with who you were created to be, who God created you to be, the, the life of the ages and where all the joy and refreshment and goodness is. When you begin to name the gap, And God can begin to heal it. God can begin to close it. And so that moment and place of surrender, of letting go, 
that we find ourselves, it's really hard, right? To change your own pretend desires. It's hard. I think it's kind of hard for God to change the things we pretend to want or the things we can't actually name in our heart. And so for people who run away from our emotions, people who, who avoid the fact that there may be a blue Christmas, people who avoid the reality of the incarnation this Christmas, that the God of the universe made himself to be human and to show us what it is to live fully human and fully alive lives. If we run away, you'll never get the chance to meet with God and experience the change and transformation and renewal and healing. It's when we lift our eyes to joy and peace. We're not forgetting the things that are at our feet to stay with this little picture we've been on all Advent. Whatever you're going through right now that you're tempted to like keep your eyes totally focused on, for those of us that are quick to just go, yeah, you're right, it's not even there, like hope and joy and peace. Now, part of the process of lifting our eyes is taking that with us. It's not forgetting that we are in the ache and in the pain and allowing our eyes focused on the Lord without forgetting like what's really going on in our heart is what will allow that gap to close, is what will allow the God of the universe to begin to heal and restore and put back together. One writer says this, ignoring our emotions is turning our back on reality. Listening to them ushers us into reality and reality is where we need God. In neglecting our most intense brokenness and emotions, we are false to ourselves and we lose a wonderful opportunity to know God. We forget that change comes through brutal honesty and vulnerability before God. And so our invitation as we come to the table today, as we close out this season of Advent, as you come up, and remember as you see the candles as you come up, love and joy, peace, hope. This reality that we're invited to keep our eyes set on because we know that our God rises above our situations and our God is healing all things. We also, in this moment of looking upon this, I was just thinking of this picture, like we take, like we, we take and taste the bitterness of the cup and we eat the bread, like we remember Jesus' greatest ache of going to the cross. It's like in this moment as we put our head down, <laughs> I don't know if you can follow me here, the poetry of the moment, like we're, we're putting our head down to take the bread and to dip it in the cup to remember, yes, this great act of love that Jesus poured out, but to remember his suffering, to remember the pain and ache of this world is real. As we take that, to look, cast our eyes up, to lift our eyes up on the fact of what that, what that brokenness produced. To, to, to be honest and true and real with the ache that's happening in our own lives and to begin to surrender that and to say, Lord, what I want is to step into your healing and to allow you to heal those things. And as we look up to the candles, we look up and we sing, come let us adore you. Let us put our eyes on you we might taste the beginning maybe for some of us. A new season of emotional health. A new season of emotional maturity. And maybe it's just a moment, a necessary moment of just, 
I don't know, any of you ever been to therapy? It's like that great moment there with a counselor, with a pastor, with a good friend, where you just let it all out. I want to invite you right now, let it all out. And if you need to write it, write it. If you need to pause and not get up right away to take the bread and the cup, pause. If you need to burst into tears while you're waiting in line and freak everybody out around you, do it. Take this moment. Don't let it go by these last few minutes together to come before God in full surrender, to bring your feelings and your desires and then your trust. To trust that God's way is the best way. To trust that God will lead you home. To trust that God will be the one who will lift your head and lift your eyes unto him. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, made himself known to us, who made himself known to us, Lord. As a child, made himself known to us in weakness via like the, the painful screams of a mother giving birth who out of the gate tasted the death and anxiety and ache and pain that this world <laughs> that is a product, a byproduct of our sin. God, that you have shown us the way out. You've shown us the way to hope and everlasting joy and true love and a peace that surpasses all understanding. Lord, I pray that my sisters and brothers right now, we would have a profound moment, not just of catharsis, Lord, but of meeting you maybe in a moment where there's some things right now that we haven't surrendered and we haven't let go of. And God is inviting you right now, do not wait one more second to name that and lay it at my feet. Trust me. Say it. I want this, Lord, but I want you more. I want this, but I want you more. I know I should want you more. I want to want you more. Like to bring on it, to come before him with whatever you need to come before him with in honesty and allow that bread and that cup, that God who has the power to heal and restore our desires and our passions and our aches and pains to allow him in to heal and to put back together what needs to be put back together. Lord Jesus, we thank you right now for what you are about to do. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. Would you, whether you need to come, if you want to come and be prayed for right now, there's people over here who would love to pray for you. You can line up in this line. As the servers come up with the bread and the cup, take your time as we close. Bring before God your feelings and your desires. Engage him in this act of trust as you take the bread, Christ's body broken, and you dip it in the cup, his blood poured out for you. The God of the universe, born as a child who dies and lays down his life for us. He shows us what it is to be awake and alive, not to bypass or to step away from what we, who we are and what we're feeling, but to engage it and to heal us. Does anyone else believe that God could make them whole today? 
Does anyone else believe that God could begin the process of restoration like today in this moment on some things you haven't been able to let go of? Anybody? Let's stand together. Let's pray. Let's eat. Let's sing as we close our time. Come. Come.